Okay, Professor Narrett here. Shalom to all you good people. I'm uh, delighted that you're here uh, to join together and talk about some Torah and uh, its enduring relevance to our lives, its relevance and its everyday timeliness. It's, it seems like there's uh, never a day, with good reason, never a day that uh, you're looking into Torah and thinking uh, it might as well have been written uh, yesterday or today, uh, which uh, in a sense, of course, it is uh, being timeless, coming from uh, Hashem, who is uh, beyond and above time. And I'm thinking uh, of that because of events that are very front and center uh, for us today uh, in America, but even more so in the Promised Land. And as you know, uh, that are very that are spoken to as directly as can be uh, in our parsha and the, the last few parshas actually. Uh, we were talking about that last week as well and I have a feeling we'll talk about that uh, a little bit every week so let's first as it says on the whiteboard I thought it'd be good to first take an overview of what some of the dominant themes in these uh, the Parshas Lech Lecha and uh, Vayera especially are and uh, to sum up some of the to, to summarize or give an overview to note briefly some of the main events in them and to see how they exemplify very primary human uh, stance in the world stances in the world like obedience and faith and everything that goes with them, for example, persistence and trust, betachon, uh, and uh, the blessings that can come out of them. And then move on a little bit to some of the, ver the very striking contrasts that we have in this, uh, several striking contrasts we have in the Parsha, Lech Lecha and Vayera, and then talk even a little more specifically uh, about one of the main events and the events of our day. We remember, we all know, that Abraham is, the, uh, is what you could call the third time, the third, uh, is the third attempt by Hashem to uh, identify and work with and speak speak with a human being who could make the world a full reflection of the grace and generosity and chesed of its creator. And uh, I guess it's that the good old in American expression, the third time's a charm. 
act because that's the way it was in uh, in this case. We know what happened with Adam Rishon, and we know what happened uh, with Noah, uh, the righteous man, uh, perfect in his generations, such a meaningful, important, foundational uh, quality and character, and of course of great interest to you all, and despite the uh, enormous uh, tribulation that they went through, the, the uh, overwhelming experience uh, of seeing the earth covered with water and all the living creatures of the land drowned uh, and emerging that hardly not that from his own family further problems developed leading to a separation uh, of his of human humankind into three main groups descended from each of his three sons we know that this will come up later in the hour so it's worth re reviewing and reminding ourselves that his blessing to his sons included the fact that Yafet was to dwell within the tents of Shem we know that uh, the tent and specific, specifically dwelling within the tent uh, in the Torah means to live according to the customs and the observances of the person in whose tent or household or family you are and so much I wanted to, to mention that verse particularly because so much of what has been wrong with our world in the era of Mashiach uh, and the end of the era of Torah when the Greeks and Romans began to beat down and destroy the land and the people in the Torah of Israel was that rather than dwelling within the tents of Shem completely and respectfully and lovingly some of the descendants of Yafet uh, the primary descendants of Yafet uh, you might say kicked the, the tent of Shem to pieces and uh, made the remnants of the Jewish people live in the uh, Ohel Yafet and uh, also known as the Galus or the exile uh, from whose effects we're still suffering today. But anyway, to get back to the review and to the themes, the, the main themes of obedience and faith, which includes an enormous amount of courage, an enormous amount of courage. Uh, to be a, a godly human being really requires uh, heroism. That's what one of the main things these Parshas teach us. But anyway, we have the problems with Khan and his descendants, of course, who come up again and again in the long derech of uh, Israel through history, the descendants of, of Ham being uh, not only Canaan, uh, Canaan, but Mitzrayim, the Egyptians, and their descendants, the Polish team, who... Uh, conquered part of Canaan and had such a big role in the lives of, uh, of Abraham Yitzhak uh, both as well as their descendants 
problems came up in that family and continued right out of Noah's own family from those descendants and uh, making problems for the particular line of Shem that ran through Aver, uh, the first Hebrew etymologically, uh, and his descendant Abraham, who, uh, who was aware, as we said, uh, of the existence of the Creator, of the One, of Hashem, and was therefore oppressed and uh, by Nimrod, also called Amraphel. We see him in Parsha Lech Lecha as one of the kings, one of the four kings, the, the imperial kings, who came down to wage war on the petty kings in the area of Sodom and Gomorrah and uh, so on. But uh, Abraham is, is told by Hashem to uh, get up and leave your native land and your uh, father's household and go to a land that I will show you. And Abraham, as in the motif that's repeated, in the pattern that's repeated, in the parshas that tell the story of his life, uh, followed the word of Hashem, whose whose hand, so to speak, whose intention and generative creativity he saw everywhere he looked. So given that he had this understanding of the of Hamakom, of the omnipresence uh, of Hashem, uh, I guess you could say, of course, it was also in his character to obey and to have faith. And for that, Abraham was blessed repeatedly with Brit Haaretz, with the covenant of the land. And if you read uh, the Parsha Lechacha carefully, you know that the Brit Haaretz is repeated several times. And each in, in chapter 12, as we say, uh, in chapter 13, Again, it's Hashem repeats to you and to your offspring after you. You know, raise now your eyes and look out north, south, east, and west for all the land that you see. To you I will give it and to your descendants forever. And I will make your descendants numerous, etc. Uh, in, in the previous chapter, when, when Abraham came to the Elon Moreh and... Uh, where Shech and Shechem uh, was the first time that, that Hashem appeared to Abraham and said to your offspring, I will give uh, this land. And he added just uh, one chapter later to give it to them forever. And we know that in chapter 15, the covenant of the parts, Hashem not only reiterated that this the, the, the Brit Haaretz and that it was an eternal covenant, uh, but he also specified the nations that Abraham's designated descendants were to conquer, and from whom they were to take over this land, and he also specified the boundaries of this land, made it very explicit, so that there shouldn't uh, God forbid be any arguments over it of the kind that we've seen for the last um, 
oh, 3,200 years or so with the noise of the oppressors uh, getting louder day by day. So uh, all this was in response to the obedience and the steadfastness of Abraham and answering the challenge of the Eternal One which as we were saying in the first week especially uh, in our first class together uh, begins with recognizing Hashem uh, recognizing the intention and the love and the generosity of Hashem within the wondrous multiplicity of nature recognizing Him and with that recognition comes love, gratitude the acknowledgement that is embodied in the name Yehuda, not by accident, that Yehuda was designated at the end of uh, of Sefer Bereshis by Yaakov Avinu as uh, the son of his who would have royalty, dominion, and the scepter, uh, because he was had a name. Uh, Leah gave him a name that indicated that the gratitude and acknowledgement essential to a human being's relation to Hashem was a a fundamental and organizing part of his character and his very being. Let me just mention a few uh, events from Parsha Lech Lecha and uh, and Parsha Vayera that indicate this how this challenge is an ongoing process and it's a challenge that we've all accepted too and that's why we're here together tonight that's why you're studying Torah and that's why you're making efforts to learn specifically the Noahide laws and the relation of the B'nai Noah to the Jewish people and to Hashem of course ideally all human beings uh, are B'nai Noah and hopefully your efforts, your faith your gratitude to Hashem your acknowledgement of Hashem and your obedience to the word he sets forth in his miraculously beautiful Torah will be the necessa- uh, a necessary and essential spark that will light more and more uh, of our fellow humans to turn to, to turn to Hashem with the, the beautiful simplicity of the order that he's provided for all people uh, to, uh, to attach themselves to the Jewish people and to rejoice in the blessings uh, that the Creator, the Eternal One has uh, provided us with and he's stuck with us uh, through so many uh, difficulties and we've stuck with it too all of us here you in your ways and uh, me in my way uh, is the result of many many individual efforts many many choices uh, of faithfulness uh, and goodness uh, without which we'd be uh, who knows what we'd be at the movies or something or watching the Simpsons, something, something of that nature. But instead, we're talking, uh, we're talking about Hashem and His plan and His people 
and how all people should learn the, this story as part of orienting themselves to him. So, Abraham no sooner heard, came to Elon Moreh, the place of teaching, where there's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful Jewish settlement today, filled with very wonderful people, from Torah scribes to farmers and shepherds, little kids and, and elderly people and everyone in between, new married couples, and that the mightiest power in the world, no, not only not only the Ishmaelites, uh, but the government of the United States of America wants to remove, demands that they be removed according to the roadmap. And uh, this is why, without going into details, of course, from a Torah perspective, of course, whatever administration has a design of that kind is going to suffer reverses and defeats of many, many kinds, one after another. And uh, not that we rejoice in them, uh, at least I certainly don't. Things can also be worse. But if you curse the Jewish people, if you afflict them, if specifically if you have the, the, the towering arrogance, the Nimrodian arrogance, uh, to tell Jewish people that they can't settle in parts of their land, even on the outermost fringes of their land, by the Euphrates. Yes, we will get there uh, before long. And much less in Elon Moreh, in the very heart of the land, the very first place where Avraham stopped when he came to the promised land, in the very first place he made an altar to Hashem, and, and Hashem gave the Brit Haaretz to uh, Abraham to say that Jews have to be thrown out there and to see m young, uh, many Jewish uh, many Jews who study Torah there for example at the Od Yosef Chai Yeshiva that used to be in Shechem right where uh, Yosef HaTzadik is buried uh, that they are under administrative detention, barred from their homes. This is all the result of a very misguided regime in Washington, which uh, of course is now suffering and causing a lot of other uh, good Americans to suffer with it, and of a very bad regime in Jerusalem too, a shockingly bad regime, who uh, among other things is uh, allowing to occur something very much like what we read about in Parsha Vayera, the opening uh, event of Parsha Vayera that helps to identify as item two on the whiteboard says the contrast not only between, not especially between Lot and Abraham, or not especially between uh, Abraham at Hebron and Beit El and Sodom, but between the children of Israel, between Yaakov and Yavah, a fundamental civilizational conflict that pervades our Western civilization and is, I believe, the primary reason that Western civilization, despite the fact that it incorporates a huge amount of Torah and Judaism and the Noahide laws within it, 
because it incorporates within it so much of uh, Yavan from Yafet and so much unfortunately of Esav too why it cannot manage to defeat its uh, genocidal enemies who every day proclaim their intentions toward the Jewish people as well as toward the the, uh, composite tent of Yafet and Shem within which we are all uh, living. So, uh, the Abraham, as you know, had to go down to Mitzrayim. There was famine in the land. He went. He, he suffered through the very difficult but necessary uh, concealing of his precise identity to Sarah. Uh, you all know, of course, probably, that it is Strictly speaking, uh, it was customary, and it was still it's still customary to some extent to use the term brother and sister in a very inclusive kind of way, or to use the word cousin in a very inclusive kind of way. Certainly in England, as as in American English, cousin could even mean a friend, not a rela- relation at all. And, uh, and as of course Sarah was his sister in a sense but not strictly speaking. We all know that. So just having to go through all those, you know, that degree of, uh, of deception in order to save their lives as Sarah's honor and to save the whole project of Hashem and the covenant, that was all uh, a, uh, a trial and an affliction. The first difficulty of what was to become Israel and Egypt. But Abraham and Sarah got through that. They, uh, Abraham had to deal with Lot's barely concealed greed, who had his eye on the well-watered plain of, of Zoar, and uh, all along where it used to be a beautiful well-watered plain, from Jericho down to the southern end of the dead of Yam Hamelach, and uh, let him have it and one on his way the, the, the war of the kings and resulting in Lot's being taken hostage by uh, the victors the victor imperialists from Mesopotamia we have trouble with them to this day and from Elam which was in the western part of what today is called Iran and uh, is better known throughout history as Persia uh, uh, this I wanted to mention this because it touches the Jewish principle, the core Jewish principle of Pidyon Shvoyim, redemption of the captives. And part of the challenge of the Jewish people, of course, who you love to study about, is that living in the very center of our, of our planet, living in the very center of our world, they, or we, they have been surrounded from ancient times by the mightiest and most ancient and, and some of the most aggressive empires in history. Uh, so, the, uh, so the need to redeem captives uh, it has been crucial both in the explicit material military sense uh, but also because redeeming captives of the chosen people is to redeem them to have their covenant relationship with the eternal one 
and, uh, and unless they have that uh, in a way the world is complete and even it says in the Zohar in a sense so to speak even Hashem uh, so to speak uh, is not complete as long as his people and his land are not shalem not whole not intact not integral that is probably the primary principle of, uh, of Judaism. The prior, I just typed it in there uh, so you could see it too. Being shalem, whole, integral, Unified. This is the this is the nature of the Creator. It's the nature of His universe. It's the nature of the world. It's entirely integrated. Uh, it's the nature of the Torah and Israel and the land of Israel, of course. Therefore, redemption of captives is so essential. Uh, we must be whole. We must be complete. And you know that too is extremely timely. The, uh, the nations of the world, the so-called world community, uh, which of course is not a community in any sense except for its hatred of Jews. That's demonstrated only too often. Uh, as soon as it began to fear that somehow Israel might actually exert its might and its honor, which is the honor of Hashem, and to deal a devastating blow to the, uh, uh, in the summer to, the, uh, to Amalek who had attacked it again in the form of uh, Hezbollah part of the Iranian army began screaming for a ceasefire this world community and of course the stipulation at first for many weeks we heard was that the ceasefire would have to include of course a return of the uh, three Jewish soldiers who were, you could really say, kidnapped. You know, this is one of the Ten Commandments. Kidnapped for purposes of torture and extortion. We have the breaking of major, many major commandments here, both uh, Sinai commandments and also uh, uh, laws of Noah here. Uh, because this was not, there was not a declared war, what was not going on, these uh, young soldiers were border guards they were abducted and who knows even if they're alive today so if there was a real Jewish government in Israel uh, they would already have been redeemed the way Avraham without asking anyone's permission um, without spending a lot of time debating it uh, gathered up his uh, 318 servants souls that he made the Torah tells us in a very wonderful lesson which also touches the principle of shlemut, of wholeness when Sarah and Abraham uh, brought people to understand and recognize the eternal one the creator of all worlds as someone to whom they should turn the Torah considers writes, describes that as souls they had made uh, so Abraham gathered up 318 of the souls he had made he pursued the kings who could have believed that 318 people would pursue the armies of the empire of Nimrod Amraphel and 
Chedor Laomer of Elam and the others that pursued them. They did, and you know the story. They they deployed against them by night, and they smote them, and they chased them north of Damascus. And uh, how wonderful it'll be when all of the teachers who repeat the well-known uh, saying that the deeds of the fathers are a pattern or a sign for their sons, when they take this example, especially when we see a regime of genocidal Jew haters for many decades now uh, perched in Damascus and assisting in those forces that throw rockets on Jews and on the, the promised land. Well, we had also uh, the in the Parsha Abraham's challenge, this challenge to his faith in Hashem. Uh, this faith that was so strong that when the king of Sodom offered to reward him for bringing back Lot and the other hostages, he said, I don't want nothing from you. This is certainly a sign for his sons. Abraham wanted nothing from Sodom and from many of those people. He, uh, he had everything. He had everything because he had uh, his relationship with Hashem and because he considered that relationship everything, uh, Hashem considered that, that faith of his, that feeling of his is righteousness, and he gave him re- repeatedly the covenant of the land, more and more explicitly a covenant of conquest and triumph and settlement uh, forever. Then there's the matter of uh, Hagar, of Sarah's barrenness for so many decades, uh, not just how sad that must have been, how painful, but how terribly confusing that had to have been. Uh, after all, this, uh, w- this condition was something that became clear um, after Abraham had received the promise from Hashem that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars of the sky, beyond counting just like the dust of the earth is beyond counting. So how can, how can this be? That is really... <laughs> not everybody's Avraham Avinu, but you know, it's good to have a, a pattern to aim at so you can get as close uh, to it as you possibly can. Um, so he had this faith, and yet you know, he and Sarah are human. Sarah said, here, take my maidservant, and uh, this would be like my own child, we have to be built up somehow. And uh, uh, Hashem, uh, so far from being disappointed in this, you know, in the very next chapter, uh, Hashem says, this is just another rung in the ladder, another step on Avraham's journey towards Shlemut, towards wholeness, integrity, and fulfillment of the promise. Um, because he said, walk before me and be perfect. And we had the covenant, the Brit Millah, which uh, sets Israel apart from the other nations too, uh, indicates a special closeness to Hashem. And uh, Abraham and Sarah had the He, the letter He, um, added to their names, the letter of sanctification. You could call it for that and other reasons. The letter that was said to hover over the Mishkan in uh, 
the wilderness, the tabernacle in the wilderness, and uh, many other things we can say about the uh, amazing letter Hey and its milui, its pronunciation, and so on, with the letter of sanctification and the reiteration that uh, Abraham would have a son uh, from his own body and the covenant was intact. Okay, now we come to the uh, main part of our, of our discussion for this week uh, and its relation to Parsha Vaera especially, which begins with the closeness of Abraham to Hashem. Hashem appeared to him uh, in uh, in the plains of Mamre and uh, Elon Mamre and even though uh, Abraham is communing with Hashem and to have a vision of the Most High he uh, interrupts himself notwithstanding the pain of his circumcision and uh, being 99 years old gets up uh, and hurries to serve the three men as he initially sees them who have come to uh, just pass by his tent. This of course um, as you all know this is Avraham's quintessential quality the chesed the kindness, the loving kindness that he uh, reflects from the Eternal One uh, to all of us. The loving kindness, the hospitality, the empathy for all his fellow uh, humans, whoever they might be. And empathy, I think it bears emphasizing uh, that does not mean that he's a pacifist or a milquetoast. We, uh, we've already seen that when we were just speaking about that. Uh, he, when, he, when it's a matter of uh, maintaining the integrity of his family and protecting people from harm, he uh, hastens, just the way he hastens, hastened to bring bread and meat because it was Pesach to the three men who actually were uh, great angels, Michael, Gabriel, and Raphael, um, so he hastened to redeem uh, his nephew and the other hostages from Nimrod uh, and etc. Israel has to hasten in both ways because as you know in that familiar drash, drash uh, on Mishle that to be kind to the cruel you wind up being cruel to the kind. Uh, the wicked have to be met with uh, strength or else those who are good will wind up suffering. The theme that comes up so often in Tanakh. Uh, uh, do good Hashem to good people and do not let the rod of wickedness uh, rest upon the light of the ri- a lot of the righteous lest the righteous stretch forth their hands toward iniquity. Now we always want good to befall good people. Um, because otherwise the very difficult questions summarized in Tehillim and Psalm 73 arise. Very difficult for us human beings, but part of the key challenge of faith in the Eternal One, His providence, His plan. Unlike the Greeks, uh, Yaakov and Israel, 
and, and this family that came to the world know that Hashem has a purpose for history. It's not a meaningless cycle of pleasure and pain. Anyway, Abraham hastens to serve the three men and uh, Hashem gives the promise to, he and, and to him and Sarah that indeed uh, their prayers will be answered. And uh, in a year's time, Sarah notwithstanding her age and Abraham's age, Sarah will have a son. As a son Abraham will have, as Hashem has promised him, a son out of his own body. What a joy. What an incredible miracle. Uh, and a joy, uh, but uh, a miracle that's going to come. Notice this is essential to Judaism, and all B'nai Noah uh, are, must be interested in this. That it's not by, by magic, it's not by hocus pocus. Hashem is not the eternal one. The, the creator of all worlds is not going to do the equivalent of snapping his fingers or waving a wand and hocus pocus, presto changeo, uh, without natural means and without a husband, Sarah will bring forth a child. You know, as, the, as Hesiod and in his Greek theogony says, without any act of love. No, that's the Greeks, that's many other cultures. In Judaism, women don't give birth uh, without an act of love and, and, and usually if they're righteous not uh, without their husbands and this we also see in the Haftarah uh, in the Haftarah for Parsha Vayera uh, very beautifully in the story of the Shunammite woman and Elisha uh, Hanavi uh, that entire Parsha is so much about Chain uh, chesed, uh, emuna, and uh, and shy, and reward about graciousness, uh, kindness, faith, and reward for that coming from Hashem through His prophets. But no sooner, no sooner does uh, do Abraham and Sarah receive that blessing from Hashem and from His angels, uh, then. Uh, then Hashem says, uh, so to speak, that it decides to confer with Abraham about Sodom. And many commentators believe that, you know, this is, it's, uh, certainly it's not because Hashem needs advice or needs understanding or needs anything else. This is part of his establishing, this conference was part of his establishing a relationship, deepening his relationship with Abraham and his inviting Abraham to deepen his own essential quality of chesed and of the mishpat, of the justice, uh, the chesed and the justice that comes with and that needs to be illuminated by kindness. You probably know these are the two primary qualities, the two primary sefirot uh, they're also called in Judaism, uh, Chesed, loving kindness, and uh, Gvura is associated uh, a might, severity, rigor associated with justice, uh, a synonym with justice. What shall I do with Sodom? Because the outcry there of their abominations is so great it towers up to heaven. Now we have another tower of Babel, but in a way it's almost worse 
because it's not direct arrogance for, or it's a different kind, let's say. It's not a direct arrogance to dominate the world, to be in the place of God, so we'll build a giant tower, we'll oversee everyone like the ultimate Egyptian taskmaster, like the ultimate New World Order person in their, in their high-tech control room, will power up to Hashem. No, now it's an outcry from uh, unnatural and, pre- and violent, predatory behavior. Sexual behavior, but also robbery and selfishness, because all the Midrash teach in many different ways that the Sodomites were extremely selfish uh, materialists, uh, qualities that go right along with the development of what we call sexual perversions. On that, they behaviors that are unnatural uh, in every way. You know, worshiping, worshiping material possessions, worshiping them. This is so deeply rooted in our society. It's the curse that comes out of what could be a blessing when prosperity and abundance are not organized around awareness of Hashem, acknowledgement of Hashem, gratitude to Hashem, remembrance of Hashem. Even the simplest prayer of blessing before you eat and after you eat is so, so important as training uh, and ingraining and ennobling your character with the remembrance, recognition uh, of Hashem and gratitude to Him that keeps the entire world in order and that keeps your soul in good order and makes it resilient and beautiful, glowing and able to be a light to the nations. Uh, To the extent that you worship the work of your own hands and if you're fortunate to live in a fertile, rich, spacious country like America, God bless it, it's so easy, unfortunately, for people and this is the history of America to a large extent. The, the third generation of the Puritan leaders wrote sermons, lay sermons, and talked about this, and wrote about it, and preached about this all the time. By the 1690s and 1700s, Increase Mather and his peers were talking about how their dreams, their ideals, and their goals for the new city on the hill were being lost already. Can you believe it? from their perspective in 1700 which which to us is an era of pure simplicity and almost poverty was already being lost by the by the wondrous abundance uh, of America you know fertilized by the uh, diligence integrity and god-fearing quality of the puritans and other english who were there there's this, always this challenge we see it in Sodom they went off the deep end and they were not interested in coming back yet Abraham pleads for them and here there's an, a crucial idea in his pleading for Sodom you remember the nature of that discussion he had with Hashem he didn't say if the city is more or less uh, righteous or maybe in five years it'll be righteous. There's even 50 people in what was clearly a major city at that time, worthy of the attention uh, of the treaties and the attacks, the aggression of the great empires of the era. So a large city, 
going to have to speculate the exam. But even if there would be 50, a saving remnant, you would not destroy the city for the sake of the saving remnant. How relevant that is to all of us today, always, every single day. Uh, what a parallel it is to the place of Israel and the nations and the B'nai Noah within the nations also to be a saving remnant to be a light to be some grace enough to save an entire world that is clearly going into the great darkness darkness will cover the earth and dense cloud the nations says a recent Haftarah from Navi Yeshaya Isaiah and certainly you know I could talk to you for three hours uh, about how that's coming true in our days and I, you can trace it out in the last couple of centuries or more you could stick to the 20th century great and terrible darkness is coming over the nations that's calling forth uh, this connection between the children of Israel and the Bene Noah. So Abraham pleaded for a saving remnant. Hashem was willing to spare the city if there was even ten. And like I said, to reiterate a key point, this conference was about Abraham as much as it was about the principle of a saving remnant in a city, a nation, or the world. Abraham was refining his qualities his qualities of soul, his qualities of mind, his intimate friendship with Hashem. He called him his friend. And Hashem was seeing everything, the, the, the chesed, the chen, the chesed the, mushpot, the, 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 the gracious justice that was the core of Abraham's being. Well, Sodom was beyond help as uh, the following uh, uh, as the following Aliot show in Parsha Vieira utterly be I mean they were in a, it's like San Francisco uh, at its worst it's, which is pretty bad and um, you know so bad that when the, the Malachim came to Lot the Sodomites immediately gathered around and said, give us those men, you know, we want to uh, do our thing with them out here in the square. Who are you to withhold them from us? We'll do it to you too. And uh, before I talk about the, the relevance of what's going on in Israel today, how international elements funded, not surprisingly, in no small part by the Ford Foundation, whose creator, Henry Ford, was one of the most influential and most vicious Jew haters of the 20th century truly an Amalekite if you read the tract that he disseminated so widely the international Jew he, suffice it to say that he was a great hero to all the Nazis and a great stimulator of the growth of Nazism and uh, genocidal attitude toward the Jews throughout Europe in the late 20s and 1930s but anyway, here are the principles for the B'nai Noach in this episode of Sodom, which we see in, uh, in, in Eretz Chaim, the Chafetz, in, in the land of life in Israel today. We have several, th sexual transgression, that's obvious. 
we have abomination. Uh, an abomination that insists on parading itself, in flaunting itself, and on seducing, enticing, and recruiting young people. I remember one of their leaflets, this uh, interna so-called International Pride Parade, um, uh, calling specifically calling for 15 to 25-year-old people who might be confused about who they are and not sure who they are to come and get to know us uh, wink wink and a nod nudge nudge you know this is, we're familiar with this from America with these kind of tactics just come and check us out you're not sure who you are are you and of course given the, the, the deep darkness of our days which we don't have time even to summarize how, how the tent of of Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, the tent of uh, B'nai Yisrael, of the Jewish people, and of Hashem, is, is being shredded in the modern period. I mean, to a large extent, that's what modernism, certainly from the Enlightenment, is about. It's about the, the resurgence of pagan Hellenism and, and pagan Egypt and Mesopotamia bursting through and shredding the tent of Shem and specifically Shem's ancestor through Aver, Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, and, and bringing back the worst aspects of paganism into our darkening world. So the sexual transgression, the enticement of putting a stumbling block before the blind, one of the, mo the cruelest and really most violent body and soul things you can do, suggesting to young people uh, that they could be fulfilled or happy or good by following this path of abomination. But I want to, you know, of course, that is a, an ab abomination, a, a, a law that all the binding on all human beings. The B'nai Noah understand this, the law against sexual uh, profligacy and abomination. But also, look at the relationship of this to avar min Hachaya. You must not eat a limb that was torn from an animal before it was killed as painlessly as possible. You know, because it's a living creature. And you must not be like an animal. You must not be a predator. A nimrod in human form. Um, these two, it seems to me, that these two laws are very closely connected. Here's an example from a few parshas uh, down, the, down the line, a few weeks ahead of us. You know, um, in uh, Parsha uh, Vayishlach, I think it is, chapter 34, Yaakov and his family have come back to the center of the promised land. And Yaakov has wrestled with the angel of Esau that the sages interpret as Satan, who is trying to make him lose heart, trying to make him acknowledge fealty to this uh, angel of Esau. Um, but anyway, he comes back to Shechem, and it says that Yaakov, when Yaakov came to Shechem, where Abraham built the first altar to the Eternal One, where the wonderful Jews of Elon Mora are living in faith and courage today, Yaakov arrived intact, Shalem, 
at Shechem. Shalem, whole, complete. And but what happened right after that? Dina, his daughter, went out into the fields to see if she could establish a connection with some of the daughters, with some of the young women of the land. And what happens? She gets raped by one of the Canaanites. And to, get, to cut to the core part of this, for our the way this connects to Sodom and sexual transgression, you know, they uh, what should they treat our sister like a harlot? You know, they should should they can a daughter of Israel be allowed to be made treif torn? Which of course, in a physical sense, she was also she was torn, as well as in an ethical, a moral sense, this transgression, this sexual predation. So, in a way. It seems to me that the prohibition against eating the limb of a living animal is closely linked to the prohibition against sexual uh, profligacy and, um, and, and predation, the way we see it in the story of uh, Dina and Shechem. And we know what Shimon and Levi did to Shechem. Because no, they cannot treat our sister like a harlot. Period. And uh, this, the, the parade of, of sodomites and their supporters, who, of course, this is an attack on Israel. This is just another, another facet of the multifaceted attacks on Israel and the God, of God and land and Torah of Israel, of which Hezbollah is one, another facet. And its close twin, Hamas and Al-Qaeda, and, these, and the Muslim Brotherhood and the regime in Iran etc, etc, etc are all facets and even the State Department with its roadmap for the expulsion of Jews from the center of the promised land where Hashem himself gave to the Jewish people it's all multifaceted attacks on Israel and its land an attempt to contaminate the land that's supposed to be a model of light purity, hope, and redemption for all the people in the world because in a way and to some extent we're all like captives who need to be redeemed redeemed by the Torah and the people of Israel who can only have their redemptive power and fullness intact when the land that was given for Torah to be practiced in is intact shalem the way which is the root of shalom peace don't let anyone ever tell you or don't let anyone ever make an argument in your presence presence and let it go unanswered that you can have shalom peace unless there is integrity shalem the very language the pure language spoken of in sephania Sophania, the pure language of which the universe not only was created but of which the universe consists of Hebrew letters that very language tells us that no shalom without shalem shalem, integrity is the root and all of the powers east and west, both sides of the so-called war on terror are all about shattering the integrity of the promised land which will 
badly crippled. Perhaps here, Joseph's being stricken on his thigh, smote on his thigh by Satan. When he wrestled with him was a sign for the descendants that what we're living through is yet another smiting on the thigh, so to speak, of Yaakov as, as his children, the Jews, pursue their derech, their derech of redemption back toward an integral and redeemed Israel and, and Judaism. Um, so this is, this is yet another attack like the rape of Dina, like the attack of the kings, uh, and there needs to be a response like Avraham's uh, response in order to defeat the idol worship of these people who clearly worship themselves and they worship their own passions. They make an idol of their passions. They make an idol of their satisfaction. And not surprisingly, people who make an idol and who worship their satisfaction. Remember the Rolling Stones and that famous song, uh, who are still going strong, sponsored by giant corporations. Uh, satisfaction is the key thing. They make an idol of their satisfaction. It's only a very few short steps before they are making idols of any kind of satisfaction. And you get sexual abomination as something that has to be normalized we're told. And we see valid questions all over America because the push from the, from the powers, the cadres, the echelons, the elites that rule and are perverting our blessed country and the entire world and that of course have a, a special hatred for Israel are telling us that or are funding initiatives to normalize, so to speak, to legalize and to make uh, equal the uh, sexual behavior that the Torah and that nature itself tells us is uh, grossly unnatural. So this is closely related to idol worship and it is, as I have there on the whiteboard, this is clearly uh, in opposition to blessing Hashem and acknowledging the name and the nature of the Eternal One because it's turning to another God, uh, a God that's a projection of your own passions uh, instead, and worshipping that God like the Sodomites, men and women, did. There weren't only men in that sitting, worshipping themselves and their passions as their incredibly violent, uh, crude, and unnatural behavior uh, with Lot and the, and the angel showed. But that's, you know, that's where we're heading, where pe when people start worshipping uh, their passions. We talked a lot about that. I talked with you a lot about that in the first two weeks, um, that that is why, that's one of the key reasons that Hashem would never reveal himself in a human form, would never want himself, does not want himself worshipped in a human form, because human beings very have, a, have a tendency anyway as soon as the Yetzer Hara was activated by the Nachash, so to speak, that, that tendency within us, within our freedom to choose was activated, we have the tendency to worship projections of our own passions, of our own strength, of our own form. 
So sexual transgression is linked very closely to the transgression against eating, uh, which, is a, which is, has to do with cruelty and to behaving like an animal. And of course, behaving like an animal in terms of preying on other creatures also leads and is closely linked to behaving like an animal and worse than an animal in terms of sexual behavior like we see the nations trying to afflict Israel and even Ir HaKodesh, uh, Jerusalem with. So we hope that is going to be rebuffed. It is, it, it's been a valuable episode in its way because it, it was an opportunity, like every single day and moment is an opportunity, for righteous people to stand up and to show what side they're on and to honor Hashem and this has been done very vigorously in Jerusalem and in Israel and it has made a difference and there's a lesson right there for the whole world about how to respond to abominations of many kind just the way Abraham Avinu did without, when Lot was taken captive and they wanted, you know, hostage. They wanted blood money. They wanted the release of a thousand terrorists, a thousand Jew killers, or two thousand, or three thousand, whatever number happens to be in Israeli jails at this moment. They knew Abraham had acquired great wealth and that he was blessed, and they figured they could get the release, so to speak, of, of three thousand uh, talents of gold or silver, whatever. No. He picked up and he deployed against them and he smote them the way uh, many people in Israel uh, gathered together and uh, made clear that the attack by Hezbollah would not be successfully or at least quietly followed by an attack by these international brigades of uh, transgressors that want to, that want to uh, sully and further damage the integrity, the wholeness, the shlemut of Eretz Yisrael. Okay, we have finished our time for this evening. We see how extremely, remarkably timely the Parsha is. We see the hostility of the nations against the uh, children of Israel and those who turn to them and understand the Noahide laws, choosing this very, the time of this Parsha and the time so close to the flood which was partly a punishment for sexual immorality as well as Hamas to put this in the, in the face of Israel as we say uh, and so by following the Parshas uh, every week we will try, I will continue to try to illuminate their connection to the laws of Noah and to the uh, increasingly important role of Israel to be Shalem in the world so I wish you uh, Shlemut Tova, and I wish you shalom and a good week. Uh, be well. Hashem should bless you all, and I look forward to talking with you next week. Shalom, shalom. <laughs>